0: Well, um, good morning and welcome again. Um, we're so glad that you're here with us, friends, family, uh, friends of family, family of friends, everybody who's here. We're just glad you're here. So whatever brings you here, we're glad that God brought you here. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and take that out. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, as our friend Sarah just read for us this morning. Uh, we're so thankful for all that God is doing in our, in our body, in our church. There's a lot of things that uh, we get to be a part of that, that God has really privileged us to be a part of. Um, One of those things that we get to be a a part of as a church that we kind of throw a lot of our effort towards and a lot of our intention towards is what we call My Village Ministries. If you're not familiar with My Village Ministries, um, we actually are in the midst of right now uh, My Village Ministries hosting where um, we have the opportunity as God's church and his family to partner with families across our area who are maybe in crisis or need help and and we're able to step in and kind of help take care of their children. Maybe they're going through a rough time. Maybe they, uh, for medical reasons, need help. Um, and they they actually connect us with those families. And they, uh, a few families from our church actually are able to host those children and, and love on them and care for them and and preach the gospel to them and, and show them the love of Christ. So um, we are super, super fortunate to be able to partner with My Village Ministries in this way. And, and if this is something that uh, we've been talking about for a while, but if it's maybe new to you and you, you haven't really heard much about it. We would love to tell you more about that. We have needs in those areas. We're, we're always looking for more people to participate. There's a number of different ways that you can participate with My Village Ministries. We have families who actually host the children. We have uh, other other people in our church that come alongside of those families in various ways through coaching, through supporting them with resources or or time, or, you know, it could be as simple as just making them a meal and taking them a meal. So there are there are a number of ways that we can all participate together in this incredible opportunity to bless uh, families in our community that need help, and so we're we're thrilled to do it. And so, if you have any questions about that, how you can get involved, some of the some of the things require some training, but but there are, there are certainly ways that you can be involved without training, sort of making meals and, and coming alongside them. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you can talk to Scott or I. You can talk to um, Ann Kriewal or. Robin Foreman, Jess, a lot of us can help you. Wes in the back there, he can help you. Um, the, the, the Hamptons are actually our family right now who is in the middle of a hosting of, of some kids. So, uh, so there's lots of ways for you to get involved with that. And we just wanted to remind you of that, that that's, that's kind of something that's always kind of going on sort of underground in some ways. Um, but there's always needs there, and we can always use more help. So if you want to be more involved in that, please let us know. All right? Awesome. Well, today... We get to dive into um, Romans chapter 8, and I know when I when you say Romans chapter 8, um, a lot of people in the room kind of perk up, myself included, right? This is where we're like, okay, we finally got to Romans 8, right? We've been kind of waiting for this moment where everyone's like, oh yeah, and I, and I definitely feel that way. This is um, this is something that I've been waiting for. This is a, a, a passage, a, a chapter of the Bible that if I had to rank, right, my favorite chapters, it's in like the top two, right? It's it's this in Ephesians two for me. They're like neck and neck for for my go-to most formative, most impactful chapters that God has used in my life. They're all good and they're all valuable, but for me personally, this is one of them that's up there. I know I know you read uh, you read famous authors and historical church fathers, and, and everybody's kind of saying the same thing about Romans eight. It's like man, this is like the chapter of chapters, right? Guys like like Martin Lloyd Jones. He's he's like this is one of the, the brightest gems of all. He calls it this this book of Romans, and he says that the whole the whole, out of the, all the scriptures, the brightest and most lustrous and flashing stone. He's like this English like guy from the 1800s, 1900s. He's like he talks in this like fancy way. His voice is like super deep and cool, not like mine. But he says he says of the collection of these stones of the book of Romans. This chapter 8 is the brightest gem in the cluster, he says, right? This is the most moving chapter, he calls it, like this grand unpacking of these amazing truths. And so, for me, <laughs> little old me, it's like, it can be kind of like intimidating to like step before this massive boulder of truth, And feel like, what do I even say? Like, you know, we don't have we could preach on this for months and years, the truths that are unpacked in in this chapter alone. And I know for me personally, this is a chapter that I resonate with deeply. There have been there have been seasons in my life where I felt like I had to read Romans 8. (laughs) Like, or else I wouldn't survive. There, there, I've felt that way. I felt that desperate. I felt that weak in my faith, fragile. I felt like if I don't, if I don't read Romans eight, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So this, you know, th- there's deep theological things, but there's also deeply personal and profound truths that we find in these in these words that can can keep us alive. Romans eight is for weak for struggling Christians for Christians who aren't good at being Christians this is all of us right these truths that are packed in here it's jam packed from start to finish with declarations of truth that that we as Christians we desperately need to hear and not only hear but remember that's our problem right is we forget We read it again and we go, oh, I forgot about that. I remember now. One commenter says that this this chapter begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. (laughs) And everything in between is just glorious truth. If you ever wonder what Paul meant when he says, speak the truth to one another in love in Ephesians 4, I think probably Romans 8 is a good synthesis of that speak the truth in love to one another. If you if you just speak only the truths of Romans 8, you're doing pretty Romans 8, you're doing pretty good. You could you could throw a dart at your Bible from across the room at Romans 8 and you would hit a verse that you need to know and that you need to remember and that is just profound. I mean all of the Bible is profound, but every verse of this chapter is incredible. One thing that we know about this there's no commands in Romans 8. We love God's commands, we submit to His commands, we welcome His commands, but there are no commands that He gives us in Romans 8. These are are declarations. These are proclamations of truth, of reality. Declarations about God and who He is, and what He's done. Things about Himself, things about Christ and the work that they have done on our behalf. So this morning and in the coming weeks as we sort of wade into these waters, let's not rush too quickly to try and discover what we need to do. It's not let's let, that's important, but let's not try to rush there. Let's let's try to slow down as we as we work our way through these truths together. The emphasis here is not on what we do as much as it is where we are. And that place, as we see over and over and over, is in Christ. In Christ. And the first thing here that we see as we open up, when we look into Romans chapter 8. We are in Christ. Christ. And the gospel that God has been proclaiming through Paul in the first seven chapters reaches this grand sort of crescendo here. And we see now this word therefore, right? He's he's saying, okay, now because of this, this, right? Therefore, and we see in verse 1, there is therefore now no, I mean, we could preach 50 sermons just on those like four words in a row. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The first thing we see is this gospel, it gives us this new freedom it gives us this new freedom. The Spirit does what the law cannot do. It gives life. The Spirit does, as, Je- as Jesus said in John chapter six, it, the, the, the Spirit gives life, the flesh is no help at all, he says. And this is what Paul's reiterating. The Spirit does what the law cannot do. We have been set free, from the law of sin and death, that was just, he just talked about it in chapter seven, and he says emphatically, and very clear, and poignantly, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation. There isn't a modified condemnation. There isn't a lessened condemnation. It's not dialed down. God doesn't turn the heat down on the condemnation. It's a total elimination of condemnation. I just realized that that rhymes. That's cool. And so this happens. How does this happen? He just told us. But it says in verse 3, it says, this happens now, this reality that That God is proclaiming. This is a proclamation. This isn't something to aspire to. This isn't something to go and earn. God isn't saying, this could be yours for the right. No, he's, he's saying, this is true. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Definitive. There's no room for argument. There's no room for discussion. God says that. How does he say it? Why does he say it? How is that possible? Because we've been talking a lot about the need for it, right? The need for the condemnation, why it's required, where it comes from, what brings it about, right? Our sin, our inability to, uh, to keep what God's law, to do what he says, our inability to glorify him, our inability to, to save ourselves. And we're rightfully underneath God's condemnation. That's what it says. We, we've, we've rightfully earned his condemnation. But he's saying, no, no. In Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. It's gone. Why? Because God, the very thing that required the condemnation, God has condemned. Look what it says. God condemns sin. He's condemned it already. So now there's no condemnation for us because the thing that was in us that needed condemnation has already been condemned. It's not that there's nothing in us that is not worth condemning, right? Even still. We look at our own hearts now and we go, kind of seems like there's some stuff in there that probably is worth condemning. And God's like, you're right. That's true. There's plenty of that within us even after we're saved, right? It's not that there is nothing in us that is worth being condemned. It's that that which is in us that is worth being condemned has already been condemned. This is why when we read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says that Jesus became sin. Uses that word, became. Jesus became sin so that all of the condemnation of God towards sin could be poured out on him. Paul says the same thing in this text. Jesus was made in the likeness of flesh, in sinful flesh, and all of God's condemnation was poured out on that. Jesus became our sin so that we could become not condemned. This is why we sing Jesus paid it all because all of God's con- condemnation was taken on Jesus. The entire cup. When Jesus is in the garden, he's talking about this cup should pass for me. It's the cup full of God's condemnation, his wrath. And God says, I'm going to pour out every last drop of this condemnation onto you. Jesus is like, that's a lot. And God's like, you're right. And Jesus says, if there's a way for this to pass, this cup to pass for me, and God's like, there's no way. This is the only way. Just like your will be done, not mine, right? That whole conversation is about this. The cup of God's wrath His condemnation being poured out totally, entirely on Christ. There is no debt now hanging over our heads. There's no debt. It's all been paid. This is why we can freely and openly sing Jesus paid it all. He didn't pay some. He didn't pay most of it. He paid it all. If we are in Christ, we are justified, and we cannot be condemned. It's like double jeopardy, right? There's no double jeopardy here. Once you've been convicted and tried, once the the, the sin has been punished, it cannot be punished again. God will not punish it again. It's already been punished. And if we are not in Christ, we are condemned, and we cannot be justified on our own. See, we often spend our time and our mental energy, right, wondering sort of whether we feel justified or condemned. Like, do I feel condemned? Do I feel justified? When we're doing well, we feel justified. Like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I've been doing pretty well. Makes sense that I would be justified before God. When we're not doing so well, we feel condemned. Like, of course God hates me. Like, look at me. I'm terrible. Paul's saying that's that's not the point. You're missing the entire point. The takeaway here is not whether you feel justified or condemned. Whether you judge yourself by your best estimation, reckon, am I justified or am I condemned? God's like, it doesn't matter what you say or what you think or what you feel. The point is, are you in Christ or not? Are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? If you are in Christ, even if you may feel condemned, you're totally justified. If you're not in Christ, even if you feel justified, you're totally condemned. That's it. That's what he's saying. doesn't matter what we feel or, th- or even think about ourselves. We look back to the truths of this word, God's word, to say, God, what have you said to be true? And we look to his truth to reign and rule over what we think, what we feel, even what we see sometimes. If we are in Christ, even if we feel condemned, we are totally justified. Because we will never face his condemnation when we are in Christ. You can sin your way out of a job. You can sin your way out of a marriage. You can sin your way out of your reputation. You can sin your way out of a lot of things here on earth. We can never sin your way out of Christ if you're in him. And Paul, he elaborates on this later in the chapter. Theologians call this concept union with Christ. Right? Union, we have been un- unified with him. We've been put into him, joined to him. I love how Ray Ortland says it. He says, if you are in Christ, you are always in two places at once. You can be in Columbus, Ohio. You can be in Mingo County, West Virginia. You can be in Beijing, China. You can be in those places. But simultaneously, if you are in Christ, you will be also in Christ in those places. You will always be in two places at once. You can never be taken out of Him. When we are in Christ, He's no longer this distant historical figure. Our relationship with Him, it could not be more secure. Why? Because... It is secured and held up by Him. This is what we've been talking about for the first seven chapters. He is the one who initiates the relationship, who accomplishes the the work, who makes it possible, makes it happen. So, as long as Christ is, if we are in Him, we will remain in Him. Because it's not dependent upon our own strength, it's not dependent upon our own emotions. It's not dependent upon our behavior. It's not dependent upon us. It rises or falls based upon him. And he seems to be doing pretty well. This is the most secure. This is the most non-precarious. The most settled place in all of the universe. There is nowhere else that is more safe, more settled, more secure than in Christ. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of armor, bullets. There's no amount of nuclear weapons. There's no amount of moats and fortresses and walls that are more safe and secure than in Christ. And these are the truths that God is proclaiming. He's declaring them. He's not wishing them to be true or hoping that someday they may come to pass. He's saying, these, these are truths that I'm declaring over my people. That they need to remember. That I need to remember. That you need to remember. And this, is, this is what Paul has been making the case for this whole time in this book. Our salvation does not rise and fall based on us or what we do, what we think. It is planned by the Father, it is accomplished by the Son, and it is applied to us by the Spirit. And we are placed, because of that, in Christ. That's our location. That's our our resting place. And this is the foundation now. This becomes the, the groundwork, foundation, for what it means to now live our lives as followers of Jesus. We are in Him. We're not... We're not working so that we can become with him. We can work our way towards him. We're not striving so that we can be in Christ. We're striving because we already are in Christ. And there's a monumental difference between the two. And God doesn't do this simply so that we can be assured of a good afterlife. Right? We, we hear the, like, oh, this is a bus ticket to heaven, right? We just. We, we punch the Jesus card and we just ride the train to glory. We get out of here. We check out, whatever we do. No, no, God, this is not what's happening. He does this work in us so that now we can walk in the joy and the freedom that he has provided to us as he sanctifies us, as he makes us more like Jesus, as he grows us and shapes us and molds us. But well, we won't experience that joy and that freedom if we continue to live according to the sinful flesh that he has already condemned. Philippians 1.6 says that God is the one who begins the work in you. He's the one who initiates the work. He starts it. He begins it. He implants it. And then it says, and he's also the one who will bring it to completion. So when God starts in you, he has no orphans. He has no... Uh, unfinished projects laying around like me in my house. There's like a million unfinished projects laying around. I'll get to those some other day. If you've been to my house, you see them glaringly. This God has no. He has, he, has, he has projects that are in process always. And he will bring them to completion. He says that. It's a promise of his. And we see here that one of the ways that God does this work in us is by giving us what he calls the new mind. Gives us a new mind. The Gospel maybe there it goes. Gospel gives us new freedom and it gives us a new mind. Later on in Romans 12 we see we see Paul talk about this more. He says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Here we see in chapter 8 in verse 5, he's talking about this same idea. He says, verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh, their minds set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So here again, we see Paul contrasting, right? Flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. He's been doing this a lot. The, f- the flesh brings death. And the Spirit brings life. And when he talks about our flesh, in this case, he's not necessarily talking about specifically our physical bodies, right? He's talking about our sinful, selfish, fallen selves, right? The NIV translated as the sinful nature. And he's not talking specifically here about the struggle that Christians have with walking in the flesh. He gets to that later. What he's doing here is he's talking about the contrast between a Christian and a non-Christian. He's saying this is this is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. We talked about this a little bit back in chapter six. To be a Christian is to be transferred, right? To be transferred from a realm that's controlled by the flesh, dominated by the prince of the power of the air, right? Who just feeds our flesh helps us to feed our flesh and convinces us to feed our flesh and leads us along as we feed our flesh. But we've been transferred from that realm, from the domain of darkness, into a realm that is now controlled by Christ, by the Spirit. There's a transfer that happens. And as as Christians, we're given this new mind. He's not talking about brains yet. That's coming later. He gives us a new mind that goes in our brain. Maybe. I don't know how it works. So what does this mean? He means this new mind is a new attitude. It's a new orientation, to use a common word that we hear a lot. It's a new bent. It's a new pattern of thinking. It's a new posture. In this new mind, it orients us away from the flesh and toward the spirit. So even when we fail, our heart posture is bent towards the Spirit. And this shows itself in lots of ways. It shows itself in conviction of sin. The more and more that our minds are renewed by the Spirit, the more and more aware of our sin we become. In Romans 1, right, we saw minds that are totally in the flesh, totally given over to their sinful desires. People who gladly and happily indulge in sin without regard, maybe even without remorse. They, 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 they love sin and they pursue sin. They're after sin and they see nothing wrong with the sin that they're engaging in. It's in fact to be celebrated by, by them and by everyone else. But this is not what it's like when we're in Christ. Our new minds feel the weight of sin. It leaves a, it leaves a bad taste in our mouth now. Go, you know, some people, like, this happened to me for a while. When you get, when you get COVID and your, your taste changes, and you, I lost my taste. But then when I got it back for a while, I was like, man, stuff just not tasting the same that it used to taste. The same thing I would eat before from before just didn't taste right, didn't have the same... One of, the, one of the big ones for me was Grater's ice cream. And if you know me, you're like, that's a tragedy, right? Like, I would take a bite of Grater's ice cream for a while and be like, it's just not, it's not hitting the same that it used to hit, you know? Like, I think that's a picture, right, of, of what we're seeing here, right? Like, our minds are being changed. And so the same thing that we, we go back to what we would go back to in our flesh, and there's just a, there's a bad taste in our mouth now. It's just not hitting the same. It's the spirit at work in us. And this work that the Spirit does in us, we feel the weight of the sin and it leads us to walk in repentance. Right? That's the point, to lead us back to the Spirit, to lead us back to truth, to lead us back to life and away from the death because we're able to now right? because we've been freed from death. We've been freed from the law of sin and death and now we're able to pursue life in the Spirit. But as we see here, That's not the case for the mind that is set on the flesh. Remember, he's contrasting Christian and non-Christian. Look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot. It's not that they refuse to. It's not that they don't feel like it. It's that even if they had a thought that they might want to, they can't. The mind that is fixated and ruled by the flesh has both animosity toward God, hostility toward God, and inability toward God. In his ways, right? Hostility not just to God, but towards his ways. What God says is good and right. Notice that Paul doesn't give a list of sins here. Other places he gives like lists of like, okay, watch out for these things. And you're like, oh, ow, oh, ow. (laughs) At least that's what I did. He doesn't give a list here, right? He's he's talking about a heart posture. He's talking about a position of our heart and our mind. The heart posture of a non-Christian, no matter how nice or how well put together they are, or they look on the outside, that heart and that mind is hostile to God. No matter how much they think they may be good with God, no matter how much uh, good works or money you think you can give, or good deeds that you can do, whatever you think you're putting in that place. If you're if you don't have this heart change, this mind change, you're actually hostile to God, and you cannot please Him. But a mind that is ruled by the Spirit, on the other hand, is humble and empowered to joyfully obey God. Even though it's still battle with sin, we, we, the Bible's clear about that. You still fight, you still battle, you still have tendencies to run back to that flesh. Even in the battle with sin, our heart posture is one that is bent before God. We're sensitive to what He says. We care about what he says. We care about his commands. We care about the life that he has for us. It matters to us. Even if we're not executing it perfectly, it still matters to us. I talk often with people who are, who, who are maybe struggling with assurance, right? Like, I, don't, I don't know if I'm saved. And generally, my advice to them is, look, the, the fact that you even care about that is a really good sign, <laughs> right? The fact that you even notice and, you, and you're even concerned at all, like, man, I wonder, like, that's actually a really good sign because that's sign of a new mind that's like, wait, I'm seeing some conflicts here. I, I'm seeing that I'm not sort of, and it's like, that's, that's, you should pay attention to that. You should actually rejoice in that because that's the Spirit showing you. So, so that's, that's good. If your mind and your heart desire to be known by God and loved by Him, if you desire to do what He says in any way, this is really good evidence that you've been given a heart of flesh. And we see why if we keep reading in verse 9. Here He turns His attention to those of us who are in Christ. And He's reminding us of this new indwelling presence that we have and the gospel gives us this new indwelling presence verse 9 saying you he's talking to christians now you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit remember the person in the flesh doesn't want to and cannot please god doesn't have the resources of the Spirit, doesn't have the security of being in Christ, but you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's a sweeping statement. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You're not his. You're not safe. You're not secure. You are condemned. That's what he's saying. Whether you realize it or not, just like there's moments where I may not realize all the riches that I have in Christ, but whether I realize it or not, it's true about me. Whether I feel like I'm doing well or not, I have to look to what God says to be true about me. That I have no condemnation, because I am in Christ. So if you can't confidently say, yes, I am in Christ, no matter what you feel about yourself, God is saying you're not safe. You're not secure. Your le- your path is death, is what it says. That's God talking. He's reminding us here that If we do not have the Spirit, we do not belong to Christ. And the inverse is also true. If we are not in Christ, we do not have the Spirit. This is why we should encourage one another. Even if we are struggling, if we see signs of the Spirit's work in one another's life, we encourage that in one another. We see it. We notice it. Little kernels, little little, little brush strokes here. A little poke of light coming through. We say, ha ha, I, I see it. Right? I see that little, boop, fruit of the spirit. Right, it's a little tiny bud right now, but it's it's growing. Right. And so we we we. That's why we need each other, right? To recognize that in one another. Like, hey brother, man, I've been noticing this fruit in your life. This joy, this peace, this patience, whatever it is, kindness. Notice how kind you were. How, you know you showed self control there. That was that was awesome, right? We 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 remind one another, like, man, that's the spirit's work in you. We breathe that truth back into one another from God's word. When we are placed in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit within us, then he gets, he gets to work. Right? He gets after it. He, he gets in there, and he's like, like those uh, renovation shows, and he's like, it's all coming down. Right? We're knocking out all these walls. Like Lynn Malsbury showing up at my house. She's like, we're knocking all this down. We're repainting everything. This whole thing's got to go. Right? This is what the Spirit does. He comes in and he's like, and and we don't get to go, yeah, but I have this closet over here that I really, he's like, nope, that closet's gone. Right? We're getting in every room. We're redoing the whole thing, top to bottom, inside, outside. It's all getting redone. And the Spirit shows up. And it's not according to our timeline. And this is actually really comforting. It's not according to our timeline. We are not the ones who put ourselves, okay, a lot of us are very like measured and like planned and we have calendars and we're like, okay, I think I should be at this point by this day and if I really work hard by next Tuesday, I should be able to get rid of this sin. It's like, oh, oh, hold on. I like the, I like the effort. I like, the, I like it. But we have to remember what Philippians 1 says, right? It is God who begins the work in us, and it is Him who will see it to completion. We are on His timeline. And so that gives us great comfort for ourselves, and that should give us great patience for one another. That we are not the ones who get to dictate our own sanctification timelines, and we do not get to dictate the sanctification timelines of our brothers and sisters. We all submit those reports right at the end of the week to God, not to one another. And that's crucial. That's comforting, right? We can can look back at our lives and we can say, man, it doesn't feel like a lot's going on. This is why we need a good brother or sister to be like, no, no, dude. This is going on. And don't don't worry about the timeline. It's God's timeline. It's really comforting. Has God abandoned me? Has He left me to figure this out on my own? Philippians 1, Galatians would say, no. God God didn't begin you By the spirit and then leave you to sanctify yourself by your flesh. He says what he begun in the spirit, he will continue in his spirit. So we can trust that it's happening. Paul ends this section with this glorious, hope filled promise. Verses 10 and 11. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him, who's Him? Jesus. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. What did He just say? Did He just say that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you? Do, we, do, we, do I even remotely live like that's true? Do, we, do I remember that? Do you remember that? That's insane. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit is life. Life. The flesh is death. And there is both a spiritual and a physical reality to this, they're saying. This is what Paul's saying. There's a spiritual reality and a physical reality to this. This goes deep. Right now, if you are in Christ, you are experiencing the physical, excuse me, the spiritual reality of a new heart, a new mind, of full and complete Justification declared, not condemned over you and over me if you're in Christ. Given the very Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the most significant event that has ever happened in the history of the universe, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the the minds that brought you the resurrection of Jesus Christ now bring your sanctification. Right? But Paul's saying, but that's not it. (laughs) There's more. Now we experience the spiritual life in our hearts and in our minds, but here we see him saying that because the Spirit is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, one day he will, and look what the word is, also give life to To our mortal bodies. We are, if you are in Christ, you are on a crash course toward your own resurrection. That's where you're headed. That's where I'm headed. I'm headed towards full spiritual, physical resurrection. Made newness. All the way around where all will be made right and all will be made new. No more pain, no more sin, no more sorrow. Remember, we've talked about it a few times, right? We are saved from the penalty of sin by Christ on the cross. We're saved from the, pres- the, the power of sin through the enabling work of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of Jesus that conquers sin and death and now enables us to walk rightly before God. And one day, this is what Paul is talking about, one day we will be totally free from the presence of sin. We won't even have to deal with it anymore. And think about all the mess that sin has caused in your life. Think about all the mess that sin has caused in your friend's life, in your family's life. Think about all the mess that sin is currently causing right now in the world all around us as a direct result that every one of us in here can point a direct line straight back to and say, yep, that's caused by sin. Greed. Lust. Hatred. Right? Racism. All of it. Stealing. Trafficking. All of it that we look around us and we go, oh, what?, like, what's, what are we going to do about this? Paul's like, "It's going to change. We're going to get way more into this as we go. He's saying that, that this is going to change. You're, you're, not only now have you, are you experiencing the spiritual realities of this, but one day we will experience the total spiritual, physical realities of resurrection. Jesus got out of the grave. His body got out of the grave. He didn't just float up like. Boop, boop, boop. He sat up and he rolled a stone and he walked out. That's our hope. And, and he's alive and well right now. We're promised that. He's alive and well. He's not hiding, he's not in witness protection somewhere. He's alive and well and operating at full capacity. And he's seated right now at the right hand of God, it says. And he's doing. A lot of things, namely holding everything together by the power of his word. But in addition to that, it says that he's speaking a better word to the Father about those who are in him. He's advocating, right? He's advocating for those who are in him, and he's interceding for us, right? When we sin, we have an advocate and an intercession person. We have have an inside guy that goes to the Father and says, they're mine. They're in me. You see them? Here they are. And that's, that is secure. Talk about safety, security. Your hope is a living hope. We sang that song, right? You are our living hope. Why do we say that? Why is our hope alive? Because Jesus is alive. And that's where our hope is, because we're in him. And so as long as he's alive, we're alive. And there's nothing that can touch us. There's nothing that can take us away. Nothing that can bump us out. Not even you. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for giving us your spirit. God, we thank you that this... We thank you that Romans 8 exists. That you gave it to us, that you inspired Paul to write these words, that you directed him. This isn't just Paul, Paul writing wishful thinking. This is your spirit inspiring truth, eternal truth, that means something for every person in this room. Whether we are in Christ or out of Christ, it tells us something about ourselves. So, God, I pray today that if we are in you, that we would rest in you, that we would rest in the glorious truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that we have your spirit, and that your spirit leads us to life, and God, I pray for those of us who are not in Christ, God, that you would demolish the walls of our hearts, that you would conquer, that you would, t- that you would illuminate, that you would, that you would turn up the light so that we can see you clearly and we would bow before you and we would surrender to you and we would repent. We would seek your forgiveness and we would receive from you life, eternal life. So help us, Lord, this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.